You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 361, who should take over as chair of BBC Question Time? Why Eni Aluko has changed football punditry forever? And should theatre reviewers refer to an actor's body shape when reporting on a show? It's all coming up after Kid Creole and the Coconuts and Stool Pigeon.
Uh, the first of two tracks I've chosen from the early 80s uh, this week, and both of them motor along beautifully, uh, reaching number seven here in the UK in 1982, Kid Creole and the Coconuts and Stool Pigeon. Ad-ta-ta-ta. Yes, I really like that. It's one of those records. It's, it's, I think of it as a sort of fatty donut of records, and that I know it is really bad for me, but I'm just enjoying consuming it nonetheless. Excellent. Welcome to the podcast from the Parish Council. It's episode 361. I'm Terence Stackham. I'm the man who said that England would not get out of their World Cup group. <laughs> and uh, and cha-cha-cha-cha, it's Juliet Harris. It's me, thank you. The woman that said that Lionel Messi would get the golden boot, so between the two of us, yes. we've, we've, we've gone into exactly the run of punditry form that everyone would have expected, frankly. Indeed. Play, playing to type, we've been. We yes, absolutely. Now, it's been said that a, a, a definition of insanity is when we keep repeating the same mistakes, uh, expecting different results. Yes, uh, Albert Einstein and also George Osborne, I believe. Mm, well, now, this is how I feel when I switch on BBC Question Time each week, only to be disappointed over and over to find the same politicians carefully avoiding answering questions mm. and members, members of the audience uh, stumbling to express inarticulate, poorly developed views on the news topics of the week. Now, I just wanted to say, because about 25% of our listeners come from outside the UK, I'm just mm. going to quickly explain that BBC Question Time, a weekly television show recorded and broadcast on a Friday, uh, on Thursday, sorry, on the BBC, it features politicians who are supposed to answer questions from members of an invited audience. Um, this week, the presenter and chair, David Dimbleby, has said he will step down from presenting the programme later this year. He's been the chair of the show for 25 years. Now, there's ongoing speculation who will be Dimbleby's successor, and we'll hear who Juliet favours in a moment. But to be a bit radical, I'd, I would just take an opportunity to kill this kill the programme off <laughs> if I was the controller of BBC One, because it, I feel it's just so tired, it's pointless... And we rarely, if anything, learn anything new from it. You get, as I say, you get these jaded politicians, media trained to say nothing, and additional guests. And this is one of the worst things: like smarty journalists trying mm. to make a name for themselves, and disastrously occasional appearances from pop singers or disc jockeys. Uh, presumably chosen to try and uh, uh, allow the, the, the show to appeal to a wider audience. But yes. merely serves to prove, really, that having the ability to sing a pop song does not automatically lead to any sort of coherent understanding of the political <laughs> and news agenda. Now, as part of a younger uh, generation of political activists, Jules, mm. who, if any... Do you favour from the potential replacements, Paxman, there's Kirsties, there's Guru Murtis, there's Derbyshire... Mm, well, it's interesting what you say. I do agree with you that, that, I mean, I just find question time so shouty nowadays. Mm. And I don't know if that's the fault of David Dimbleby, the chair, for not having it under control. I mean, it's I, it's interesting, isn't it? I'd quite like any questions. That's the um, that's the Radio 4 equivalent Ooh. question time that's usually on on Friday, Friday evenings. Don't ask me what the difference is between any questions and any answers. I still haven't quite worked that out. But, um, and both any, chaired any, by a Dimbleby, incidentally. His brother, Jonathan, chairs the um, any questions on the radio yes absolutely but i'm not suggesting that he should be the replacement no. but i find that to be a slightly more thoughtful program i think no. my 
I don't necessarily think Question Time is a dead format, but I think, much like today on Radio 4, I really do think it needs sharpening up. And I do find, like you, that it often is is all heat and little light when it comes down to it. I think that I would prefer it. Do do we need to have the studio audience? I think we probably do. That adds to the theatre of it. Um, I'd like there to be less panellists. Yes, there are five panellists, I think, at the moment, um, and it's a bit of a hangover. It's struggling to catch up with the changed political format, I think, because it very much used to be Conservative politician, Labour politician, Lib Dem politician, and then one of the other parties, so Green, SNP, UKIP, and then a a random journalist contributor circus juggler whatever is the kind of fifth person (laughs) occasionally Clark Carlisle former Burnley footballer Mm. I I was quite impressed by I thought he was quite good but anyway and then once 2015 happened I think that was that was difficult for question time because they suddenly I think they you know do you always have to have the SNP on now then and then what do you do about the Lib Dems is it still worth having one on I mean I do think that I'm very angry with the BBC for the the prominence of a question time particularly for the prominence that it's given to Nigel Farage mm. and why it's still in they still insist on keep having Farage on even though he's never been elected to anything and UKIP are now polling you know in the two three four percent the same as the Greens I, I, I do have sympathy for the Green Party that they had an elected MP in Caroline Lucas and a, and a, you know and, and a 4 or 5% vote vote share and you know aren't given a seat automatically and really have to fight for mainstream news coverage when you keep don't so so I, I agree with them on that if you had less panelists I think that would make it more focused because at the moment it is a bum fight to either get noticed or to slide by without being noticed depending on whether you are a renter gob or a politician that just wants a quiet life as a result of which it gets very bear pity mm. and 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 whilst i do think david dimbleby is very good at certain things and i think he's great at hosting election nights he's brilliant at that mm. i wonder if you need to have someone with a bit more steel you, you you make the you make the panel smaller and you get someone with a bit more steel that chairs that mm. actually does chair and does instill sort of that sort of thing into people well, one thing i was interested by so there's this article in the guardian saying what oh, should be this person or that person mm. um i wonder if well, firstly, I wonder if it might be, if we're talking about widening political participation, is it the sort of thing where we have to have a political expert that chairs it? Can mm. it not be just a really good newscaster that chairs it? I don't know. Mm. Um, I very much enjoyed on Twitter, and I think this is great. I'd like to see a woman host it, I think. Mm. I think if you're going to freshen up the format, I think that, that there are some superb female journalists on, on, on telly and radio at the moment. I think Emily Maitlis could potentially be very good. But I, I was uh, pleased to see on Twitter Samira Ahmed putting herself forward mm. and saying, I have these qualifications. I've been doing this for this long. I think I've got the expertise I'd like to be considered and it's often claimed by men oh well you know women don't get these jobs because they're not very good at pushing themselves forward well look guys she's done it <laughs> what are you gonna do now and i think i think that's very encouraging i think she'd be really good as well other suggestions on this list um i do think that michelle hussein would be excellent she is basically the only reason why i'm i continue to give radio uh, today any any of my time whatsoever i'm her and martha carney the only reasons why i give today any of my time at all i'd like to see not just a tokenism but i do mm. think that some of the best journalists operating happen to be female kirsty wark also suggested i think she'd be quite good um i yeah i i if it's going to continue i mean you'd think that someone someone going 
so after so long gives it the opportunity to either kill it off or to revamp it in a way that actually keeps it fresh and relevant and i hope they take that opportunity i'd like to see a smaller panel and i'd like to see someone with real authority and maybe if you're going to get someone that's a really good journalist to host it you know dimbleby doesn't do very much in the way of questioning i wonder if so i went to a um a, a political event at the weekend that had lots of panels and the way that they tended to do that was that they would give everyone five minutes. So there was a local government panel and they would give everyone, the four people on the panel were each given five minutes to talk about their expertise in local government, the kind of stuff they were really into, the projects they were really interested in, they thought were really good. And then they opened it to questions afterwards. I would really like to see the, the whoever it is that hosts it, I'd like to see a debate style format. I really would like to see someone like Emily Maitlis or, or you know, Michelle Hussain or Samira Aros or whoever. The first half of the programme is a chaired debate and the second half of the programme is then mm. open for questions. I think that would... We learnt quite a lot during the TV debates, actually, not mm. least because Theresa May didn't turn up. That was quite instructive <laughs> yes. in itself, wasn't it? it so was, I, I think if you're going to continue with question time... I do think that there is a there is a room for something like that which is far more controlled and and is a better showcase. I think related to the um, that lack of punch, the lack of direct questioning, I find most probably all if I think about it, TV and radio political shows, whether question time format or that Sunday morning head to head interviews, um, all very tiresome and, and utterly pointless. And there's on the the the, 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 last, the latter ones there. There's this. Mm. stage confrontation and then the so-called the, the thing that troubles me and irritates me somewhat about this is that the, the heavyweight interviewer so-called and the politician then go off together to attend the spectator's summer party or the guardian mm. politician mm. of the year awards where they all you know share smug off the record anecdotes and arrange to meet each at each other's mm. villas in tuscany and you know, they all went to university together and their children all get jobs in each other's workplaces. It's all very sort of grim and yen-tobby old boys club. Yeah, you know. it's true. Maybe it's worth maybe it's worth getting someone in from another area then. Well, that, what I was thinking, if the show must continue, just please no more grey men from the establishment. And if it must mm-hmm. go on, let's skip a generation and give the gig in my view, to uh, Emma Barnett, who's only oh, yes. only in her early 30s, but she's already rocking the boat, really, and winning awards. For She's got a really no-nonsense style of interviewing. She has, yes. She's been on LBC, more latterly, Five Live and Radio 4. So that would be innovative and far-sighted, so I guess the BBC will probably do the opposite. Well, quite, yes. No, I agree with you. It would be nice to see some of the young voices coming mm. through. People like Akala, for example. It would be nice to see them making one. Kate Tempest, uh, sort of more mm. contributions from from that area. Absolutely. Now, coming next, why Ennio Luku uh, has changed football punditry forever. But with one of the tracks from his new double A side single out this week, it's Paul McCartney. I saw you flash smart. That seemed to me to say You wanted so much more than casual conversation I swear I caught a look
something of a return by it formed by paul mccartley i think i heard this playing on the radio the other day and i really enjoyed it i thought it was excellent i um i i just uh i, I it struck me straight away and i thought well you know these people insist on keep on going on going on don't they and actually i thought that was the you know one of his better solo works in, in recent years that's paul mccartney and come on to me Yes, it's it's something of a, a return to form. A lot of people are saying it's his best work for some saying thirty five, some forty years. So, well, I would I would I would intervene in that hmm. debate and say that I I recently went to one of my favourite record shops called Music's Not Dead in Bexhill. I thought I went to a jazz shop, but no, I went to them. Hmm. And they had they often have a sort of a bonanza CD sale where they have things <laughs> that they really can't shift for sort of one, two, three quid. And I paid I think two or three pounds for a copy of Flaming Bar- Pie by Paul McCartney oh, on CD. Right. Which which I, ha- I got on tape for my 13th birthday in 1997 and was really taken by. And I think that's a fabulous album. I don't know why that never gets written up in his kind of better records, because I thought it was it was just the right time as well. It's sort of after the, the, the reissued Beatles stuff in the 90s and Britpop and interest in Beatles being at its height, he came out with a really good solo record. I think that that album is very underrated. So I would say to people it's his best since Flaming Pie. You're, you're right, it isn't generally spoken of as you know one of his 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 greatest works it has got uh it's got some lovely songs in it. I, I can't remember many of them off the top of my head i remember beautiful night young boy, young which, boy. Is the, which is yeah. the singer it's got a lovely little song called uh, calico skies yes. and there's a, there's a song called souvenir on it which is um uh, he always it said it. I remember the the sleeve notes being very extensive and he said in it that he really wanted to do um sort of like uh, he wanted a soul guy to get hold of it basically his view was i've written this for some soul guy to really with a huge voice to really sing it i'd love to hear someone like um gregory porter do it nowadays i think mm. it's a, i think it's a good song there's some and and uh, ringo plays on a couple of tunes as well and it's i just really like it i just think it's great I've temporarily forgotten Cali- uh, Calico Skies because I think that must be one of the last tracks that had Linda on it. I think she did that. She did vocals. that with him, and then she did Great Day with oh, him. And I, right. and I think they, I think they're at the end of each half of the record. I think they bookend. I think oh. they, I think they finish each half. Now, as we record this. We're in the middle of the 2018 Football World Cup, and I mentioned we are this. indeed. I'm in my England shirt as we speak. Are you indeed? Oh, how lovely! Mm. Um, I, <laughs> Thank got... you for feigning interest in no, that. No, no, I was just gonna, <laughs> I, 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 no, not at all. I've got the England flags in my, you know, up in my car. Did your car out? Because mm, that yeah. was a big, that was a big priority of yours. Yeah, yeah. World Cup. Uh, from the pound shop, two England flags for a pound, and so they're adorning my car as I drive around. And, uh, as ever, you make me proud. <laughs> yeah, so. I, 
we, we know from um, stats and feedback that many people catch up with our podcast sometime after they were recorded. And so we do try and bear in mind that, you know, bear that in mind so that they're still listenable, even if the events we mention are over, like this World Cup. So hmm. now we have from time to time, both on our individual social media accounts and on this podcast, been, and I think with some justification, very critical of the standard of expert co-commentator and yes, pundit panellist that infest football coverage or soccer if you're in America, um, the, the, the pundits here in the UK. And, you know, just because someone achieved a reasonable level of success as a football player or manager, of course it's proven time and time again that such a level of expertise doesn't automatically make you a witty and engaging summarizer and one such case is glenn hoddle i hate to pick on the fellow but Mm. an elegant and very gifted footballer and he enjoyed a certain degree of success as a manager but who's completely unable to put one word in front of another to actually complete a sentence that makes any sense and it reminded me, listening to him this week on the World Cup coverage, I actually did speak to a former Chelsea footballer a while ago now, but he, and he was at Chelsea when um, Glenn Hoddle was the manager at, at, at Chelsea. Um, a decent player, coach, I believe, who led by example. But this ex-footballer of Chelsea told me that Glenn Hoddle, when he was there, he's so inarticulate that the Chelsea players often simply couldn't follow or understand what he wanted them to do. Oh, God. And so it's then considerably surprising to continually find Glenn Hoddle stumbling over his words and then repeatedly re-employed for for all the big games um, ITV and one of the cable channels. And, of course, I suspect the, uh, the, uh, the Yen Tobi old boy network again. But since mm. the start of this World Cup, Alex Scott, and in particular Enia Luko across both channels, uh, Alex Scott on the BBC, raised the standards to astronomically higher levels by not only knowing their subject in depth, but also owning the skill, Jules, of being able to express their views coherently and without cliches. Yes, absolutely. I agree with it. And and we're very far from boy done great, I think, with, with these a two. And there's a really way. good, aren't we? There's a really good piece about this that was in the, t- this, um, the Times, I think, mm. earlier this week. It might have been it was yesterday, I think, right. the 23rd. So it was published yesterday. Mm. And... Um, and I think it's worth reading the the opening paragraph here. It's turning into a golden World Cup for punditry, which is not something often one mm. said. One often says there's Cesc Fabregas, born to analyse, whose punchy stint, alas, came to an end on Thursday. There's Pablo Zabaleta, who's only just arrived, but it already looks sharp. There's Eni Aluko, who is informed and concise and unfashionably illustrating. And best of all, there's Alex Scott, who seems dedicated to that increasingly neglected practice, and not just in football punditry, of assembling facts and evidence in the cause of an argument there's a bright knowledgeable unafraid um, unafraid um, openness about these people that's more like what you might see in american sports yeah absolutely mm. true and i think that they are so articulate i think all of mm. these four have, have really impressed me during the world cup i, I must as, as well also say there's a lovely there was a lovely moment on itv the other night where um I feel that Roy Keane speaks for us all as a nation <laughs> in the look on his face whenever ian wright starts speaking and there was a particular moment of kind of 
accidental innuendo and there was a lot of extended laddie mm. banter laughing and i very much enjoy roy Keane's kind of um he's he's the one that has to drive on the stag night isn't he really and just and just sort of sits there thinking oh um so so i never thought i'd say this but sympathies to roy Keane. um occasionally his his speakings of how he's fallen out with various people are always yes. great because because you get the impression that as he is speaking there is a body buried in lime in a in a sort of lay by off the M1 somewhere. I, I, I always worry when when Roy keeps falling out with people. I always worry what the consequences of those of that is. Exactly. I feel they're, they're far reaching sometimes. But anyway, back back to the to the other people who I think are just are just fantastic. And I but I think and I don't know if I'm reaching too far with this, but with Anya Luca and Alex Scott particularly. It's very telling, and we've got Vicky Sparks as well now commentating, who's very good. But I think it's really telling, and it says a it ta- it says a lot about about sort of the struggle of minorities. I think to have to get on in society, it's often said that if you are a woman, you have to perform at 110% to be judged similar to a man who's performing at 85%. You have to do so much more to be seen as even average, if you see what I mean. And you could say that's even more the case for women from ethnic minorities young women from ethnic minorities are basically you know the, the lowest of the low when it comes to how society treats people i think so it says a lot to me that that Enya Luco and alex scott have you know they are so articulate and they perform so highly but the thing that makes them so great is that they have all the stats they've got everything mm. they've researched mm. and they, and it's clear and i don't mean that unpleasantly that they have researched because they are so articulate and they have so much like it says there so much evidence in presenting their arguments and any luco is a lawyer i don't know what what alex scott does and um, but it's very telling that they've clearly gone to so much effort and i wonder if there's that kind of slight psychological thing of thinking oh i have to be really 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 good at this to be judged as being okay if you see what i mean and if people do that people judging people do that subconsciously i think sometimes they don't always do it obviously they don't always mean to do it they don't do it consciously but i wonder if that's a factor there but no i think they're fabulous and i think it, it does make me laugh that um that there's a quote in this article um it says um Still, few revolutions are frictionless, and Scott and Aluko seem to have the nerve to drive on through. So does is Vicky Sparks, the first female BBC commentator on a World Cup game. Has anyone checked in on Dave Bassett recently? <laughs> in 2007, when Jackie Oatley became the first woman to commentate for Match of the Day, Bassett was adamant. I am totally against it, the former Premier League manager said, and everybody I know in football is totally against it, to which I say, whatever happened to Dave Bassett? That's yeah, very true. It's so striking that by any Aluko coming across as so knowledgeable, intelligent, articulate, as you say, it immediately shows how badly we're served by the, the, the sort of self-regarding, it was much better in my day, you know, weary old professional male footballers. Absolutely. And listening... Um, during and, the- and Phil Neville, who can't oh, even pronounce no. Chikorito properly. I even know. that's not even his name in the first place. But, the, but you know, I, I never thought... I- I would, it got to the point where I was shouting Chikorito instead of Chitterito <laughs> at Phil Neville to the point where my dad said look I need you to stop doing that and it's like but he's wrong and that sums up really you've got any Luca and, and Alex Scott basically having to run to stand still mm. when they pick Phil Neville all the time and he can't even pronounce players names properly or get them right listening uh, a couple of games uh, this, this week the, the former Liverpool defender Mark Lawrenson on, on BBC television uh, co-commentating on games uh, during this World Cup and you would think he'd been handcuffed to the microphone under duress 
Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so negative. You know, such as his negative, uh, mm-hmm. moaning, downbeat commentary, and, and but perhaps he he doesn't feel like this, but he gives the impression that he hates the game. Mm. And they, you know, he, he again, unlike any Aluko and Alex um, Scott. He he doesn't bother undertaking any research, and so he falls back onto a tired old 1970s cliches about national traits. You know, if we play against Italy, he's bound to make a reference to spaghetti or something. You know, it's, mm. it's just so old world. And yet, like Hoddle and, and Martin Keown... Uh, I don't like Keown too much, actually. I think he's okay. Okay, but they keep asking these same people back. Yeah, I just true, think, true. in future... Any pundit or expert who spouts on about football, they need to look over their shoulder. I think be, be aware that while they're boring on about it being a man's game and how football mm-hmm. isn't what it used to be or what it was, you know, over that shoulder, um, there is an any Aluko and a new de- generation who yes. do know the laws of the game, do yes. know how to pronounce pronounce the name of uh, Chicorito or Costa Rica's fullback or whoever, and who can tell you all about it with articulate skills. So, you know, watch out, Glenn Hoddle. Absolutely, and I hope, like you say, like question time, maybe mm. it's time for a new generation of people that don't all look the same as each other, who don't all sound the same as each other, and as a result of which are far more interesting to listen to. Can't come soon enough. Uh, coming up, should reviewers refer to an actor's body shape when they're reporting on a show? Is it cruel, or are we all being a bit too snowflakey? That's next <laughs> after this spirited track from Joe Boxers.
Yeah, this uh, this track just came into my head this week, and I've been playing um, it on Spotify ever since. I'd kind of forgotten how great it is. Of course, there's more than a passing nod to the style of Dex's Midnight Runners, but nonetheless, a terrific slice of uh, 1980s soul new wave power pop. Yeah, it's great. I really like it. It's really uplifting. Uh, so, in fact, from 1983, number 36 on the Billboard Hot 100, number 7 in the UK, Joe Boxers and Just Got Lucky. Now, if if you were an actor, but then again, no. No, if, if you were an actor... <laughs> I'll stay. Are you going to buy me a big house? I really hope so. <laughs> Where we both could live. Wouldn't um, that be nice? That but would then be we lovely. wouldn't have to bother with Skype. That would be perfect. Absolutely. We could just do this to our own satisfaction. Mm. Anybody who wanted to listen could just come to the, 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 the sitting room window and just <laughs> it listen. It would be in. like Sandy Tom's Periscope, wouldn't it? We would presumably be brushing our teeth and complaining that we never had hits anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> see, see about that. Passy, I had forgotten about What a marvellous moment that was. That's right. Um, no, if you, you were an actor on stage or screen and, and reviewers came along to write about your performance, um, how would you feel if, as well as commenting on your skills as an actor they put a lot of focus on your body and its characteristics referring perhaps i don't know to you being very skinny very tall short chubby uh, whatever adjectives they choose this week philip fisher of the british theater guide reviewed the prime of miss jean brodie at the donmar warehouse and described nicola coughlin who appears in the show as and i quote now the kind of overweight little girl who will always become the butt of her fellow's immature humor now end of quote philip fisher has has form on this because he reviewed um, nicola, nicola coughlin in a play in edinburgh last year and wrote jess which is miss coughlin's character is a fat girl um <gasps> he's, he seems to have a fixation on miss coughlin but what's yes. the reality here jules is it legitimate to refer to miss coughlin's or anybody else's weight or anyone's personal characteristics if you're reviewing their performance as an actor has it got relevance the only time in which I think it ever has relevance is if it is relevant to the text or the character in the play. Mm. And so, for example, when people are miscast sometimes, mm. particularly in um, literary adaptations. Um, so I've seen various adaptations of books, you know, books on stage, books and books in, in the cinema, that sort of thing. And there are sometimes where you think... And I know it's always a subjective thing. Mm. My dad refused to see Lord of the Rings at the cinema. He's never seen any of the films because mm. he said, well, I read these when I was younger and I know what they look like. So I don't I don't need to see what they look I know. So so uh, and and actually there was a lot of sort of hoo-ha about Renee Zellweger. Or was she going to be right for Bridget Jones? And there was this big hoo-ha about how she'd had to put on weight. But anyway, she was brilliant. Mm. So so I think sometimes there is a, there can be a relevancy for example and I'm just trying trying to think you know if if you've got a for example somebody comes on that's eight stone that's playing Henry VIII I mean you know mm. that that sort of thing there if, if if someone is willfully miscast then maybe that's relevant although again I think that needs to be done with kindness and care but I I just think this bloke's horrible I just think I just think that you say he's got form particularly with mm. this poor girl who's been pretty pretty you know pretty strident in her in her well not defensive her. she shouldn't have to defend herself but i think the only time at which it is at all relevant is is, is is relevant to the character how is the performance how is the fact that what size she is relevant to her character and this this article in the stage which you sent me mm. which is really good um 
says uh, the 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 telling line it's one of those one of those um pieces which really could only be a couple of paragraphs long because the telling line refers is referred to in the end of the second paragraph where it just says um Review by Philip Fisher on British Theatre Guy claiming the acting plays a little overweight girl. The character's physicality is never referred to in the piece. Well, that's mm, it, that's I think, story, really. Yeah. And she says, um, she put on Twitter, um, my weight has no relevance to, um, she says to Philip Fisher, I know you are a theatre reviewer and your body had no relevance to your job, but maybe you'd like me to cruelly review it for you <laughs> and post it online. <laughs> Just so you know, Brit Theatre Guild, I am a oh guide. I'm so disappointed you let a man like this review for you. Let me state clearly, let me state this clearly, he is not welcome to review any show I'm in from now until forever and I plan to be in a lot of damn shows. My weight has no relevance to either the performance I have in that or all the prime of Miss Jean Brodie. And she's absolutely right. And the, um, the, uh, the, the British, um, the, the British theatre, um, guide, uh, fell over themselves to apologise, basically, and took it off. And I saw, and, and it said, the spokesman for the Donmar said that Benny supported, um, her comments and applauds her courage and clarity, which is a way of, you know, to, well, yes, she was clear. She was very clear in the fact that it is unacceptable and she shouldn't have to be brave to have to make those comments. And I think the best ending to this story, and I'm sure some some of my quote unquote liberal friends will be shouting at me for saying this, <laughs> but, um, if I was a British theatre guide, I wouldn't be rushing to recommission Philip Fisher. Mm. I must admit, I don't think he's can be trusted to write about things properly what have i gained in my understanding of the performance by knowing about this nicola Cochrane's weight i don't haven't gained anything at all i you know unless it's relevant to the piece why do we need to know i came across uh, an interview a couple of hours ago i was just um mm. reading uh, the paper and I, I it made me realize that this style of reporting it's not unique to the theater and actors i mean we well, for example we've mentioned before how a politician like diane abbott who in my opinion can be appropriately criticised for her lack of knowledge in some political areas, but instead she's often picked on for her vocal mannerisms. Or her, her weight. Her she's looks, often, her, yes, she's her often drawn in cartoons as having suits that don't mm-hmm. fit. And, and even more sadly, of course, to, the colour of her skin. Yeah, uh, to the point where when I actually met Diane Abbott and campaigned alongside her a few months ago, I was really surprised at how small she was. <laughs> yes. because I, I, and this is awful. I mean, it's terrible that I'd only ever seen either picture on TV or these cartoons that are often yes. drawn, particularly in in you know so-called liberal media outlets like the guardian steve bell's been pulling these kind of stunts mm. for years and um that's not the worst he's done but anyway so so when i actually met her i'm like oh you're you're, you're not bursting out of a suit you're you're shorter than me and and not very large and, but, and the white <laughs> you see it happens across the board though because this piece i was reading earlier today it was about how nikki morgan the former conservative mm. cabinet minister she now refuses to do some tv interviews she said because of the unflattering nature of the lighting in smaller studios yeah. And her reasonings, I think, are, are really rather sad. She said, uh, again, I'm quoting, I don't do TV from regional offices because they get you to perch on a little chair. There's bright lights, really unflattering. And then I get a whole load of social media abuse afterwards about how ugly I am. End of quote. I mean, which is all of which is a terrible indictment. It's appalling. It is appalling. Of, you know, the way we live and the way people behave in this modern era. And I'd be fairly sure these... Twitter trolls wouldn't tell mm. Nikki Morgan she's ugly. I mean, she isn't, of course, and you know, no. it's subjective, but you know, she's 
uh, you know, pleasant-looking she, she, woman. She, she, she's, you know, she's interesting. Yeah. Looking. She's got a quite a wide bridge to her nose, which mm. means that she doesn't necessarily look as, you know, as classically beautiful as some people would say. But she's one of our more interesting modern politicians, uh, uh, I think. And so, I think if these people were one to one with her in her office, just as I imagine Philip Fisher wouldn't tell Nicola yes. Coughlin she's fat if they met face to face. Yeah, these keyboard warriors—they're the scourge of the modern age. Absolutely. But but then, having said that, you say this: mm. there are some journalists that do do those things. One thing that did endear me to Liz Kendall during her 2015 election mm. campaign to stand for Labour leader was when a, a, a journalist from the Daily Mail asked her what her weight was and she told them to F off to Good his face. Her. Good for exactly. her. Exactly. So, so maybe sometimes. But then, of course, that is then written up yes, endlessly. Yes. And, and this almost goes to the Weinstein Me Too thing that any actresses that threatened to kind of undo Weinstein were smeared as having a reputation for being difficult. Yes, indeed. And there was and there was an actress recently, and I can't remember who it was now for the life of me, and I wish I could. Someone said, why don't... Oh, Eva Green, that was mm. it. Eva Green, who was played the Bond girl in Casino Royale, who was really interesting, I thought. Mm. And someone said, someone tweeted and went, why haven't we seen more of Eva Green in things? It's such a shame. She's a brilliant actress. I wish we'd seen more of her. And I googled Eva Green, and the first thing that came up was an interview with her about Weinstein, mm. where she said, you know, he, he said that he'd made lovely death. And that, that's, what, that's what he did. Mm. That's what the male industry in that sense seemed to do they they gave you know they said that people were difficult and particularly women and that is enough to kind of to kind of you know put people off and, and actually to, to what i'm rambling on what for one final point and it still makes me laugh um so one of my favorite scenes in the modern day doctor who I think it was one of the Christmas specials with David Tennant as Doctor Who and uh, Penelope Wilton made these kind of guest appearances as a politician in it called, I think she was called Harriet Finch or something like that mm. um, certainly her name was Harriet anyway and um, in, she appeared in an earlier episode and in, in this episode she had become Prime Minister and Billy Piper's mum at the beginning says oh it's a golden age everyone loves her, she's amazing we're also having, it turns out that she's kind of I, I, I can't remember the, the full problem basically she's kind of slightly in league with the baddies I think not entirely but hmm. she is a little bit and at the end they're kind of concluding about you know how, how are we going to get rid of her um, Harriet Jones not Harriet Finch Harriet Jones how are we going to get rid of her how, how, you know, how are we going to go and David Tennant as Doctor Who goes don't worry I know what to do and he walks up to one of the journalists and just says don't you think she looks a bit tired and then two scenes later, when the characters are talking, there is a there's a BBC News 24 channel in the background. And it says, you know, Harriet Jones under fire, embattled <laughs> Prime Minister Harriet Jones. And she's going, I am in control. There's nothing wrong with me. And in the end, of course, she has to resign. And I think they got some criticism at the time. But actually, I thought, no, it was a very good satire on how we treat how we treat women in public life. Now, Jules, um, Assuming you're not doing an audition to chair BBC Question Time. Well, I mean, I have blocked some time out for that, but yes. Where might we find you in the coming week? Well, in the coming week, yeah. you can find me in a in in, in a place. Actually, Ooh. you can find me on Barricade Radio oh, on um, on uh, Indie. Oh, sorry, it's on Barricade Radio. Mm. I'm doing Indie Wonderland. That will be 
from uh, 8 to 10 p.m. Um, on Wednesday, the 27th of June, uh, barricaderadio.com. Um, or we have, you can listen to us on the TuneIn app as well, on Barricade Radio on the TuneIn app. Uh, and on Friday, the 29th, in the evening at the Printworks in Hastings, I will be doing my uh, DJing thing by myself. So I think under the Modern Life's Not Rubbish brand that I'm still trying to flog. Um, <laughs> and I'm on, I think, from 9 until 1. And I'll just do I'll just do Northern Soul and Motown and some indie and, and, and all that kind of generally sort of good stuff, I think. That's right. That's good. Um, thanks to you for listening. Yes, you, particularly you. And thanks to executive producers uh, Rona and Hillary. We've got quite a team now, haven't we? I feel like we're going out. places. We've got, a, as Jesse Lingard would put it, we've got a squad. Squad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, here's a familiar name to play us out, Jules. Yes, indeed. I thought it had been a while since we've wheeled out my favourite mm-hmm. PJ Harvey. So I, I found myself listening to this. Um, I often neglect White Chalk as an album, and I don't know why because it's absolutely terrific it's quite an autumnal album so it's a bit odd that i've kind of fallen fallen upon recently but i think it's a very contemplative album she i think she was recording a lot of it when she went home basically to nurse her dying grandmother down in dorset so i think that's why a lot of it and it came off the back of uh her her which was not a not a i mean it's a slightly unsatisfactory album by her standards i think i do like it there's some brilliant moments on it but it came after stories from the city and i think she was very desperate to get away from that kind of polished sound that she wanted to explore on that album as well to which uh her didn't well the fact that she wouldn't put the title track on it because she thought it sounded too much like pj harvey kind of summed up how slightly disjointed that record is and that she was trying so hard to do something else that it it fell between a lot of stools that album for me there's some beautiful songs on it but but not quite there whereas white chalk that followed afterwards is she never really played the piano very much so she decided she'd record a whole album on it because that's kind of the sort of thing that she does and it's it's a lovely album it's 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 got a really strong identity to it and it's and it's got some really um sort of quietly emotional moments on it and i think that this is one of them so this is pj harvey and this from the album white chalk is broken harp please don't reproach me for for how empty my life has become i don't know what really happened i watched your
You have been listening to a DACA Media Production.